Welcome to Exit 43, where we take a deep dive into things you probably didn't know about. Today, how the summer of 2020 has begun to look like a century-old carbon copy. It's 1919 all over again. I'd like to begin this episode with a caveat, a quote from Mark Twain, that I think has become something of a cliché. History doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. We'll be looking at parallels, making a few inferences, but the issues are so complex it's hard to draw a straight line from one to the other. From the very first mention of COVID-19, comparisons were made to the 1918 flu pandemic. But here's the weird thing. In the summer of 1919, as the flu pandemic was waning, there were a series of so-called race riots around the country. They called it the Red Summer. I think absolutely the Spanish flu had something to do with the Red Summer. Here's what I would say to answer your question very honestly, because I don't want to overstate that it was the pandemic, but... I don't think you can disassociate or disconnect anything about the period from 1918 to 1919, 1920 from the flu and the war because they're completely interconnected. That's Kenneth C. Davis, a historian and a rather prolific author. I call Davis because of one book in particular, More Deadly Than War, The Hidden History of the Spanish Flu and the First World War. You know, maybe it's helpful not to look at the similarities between the summers of 1919 and 2020, but to look at the differences. For starters, a century ago, the United States was in the midst of the First World War. You cannot understand the United States' role in World War I without understanding the Spanish flu, and you can't understand the Spanish flu, of course, without understanding World War I. It was completely spread and became a global plant pandemic because there was a global war coming on. Uh, the fact that hundreds of thousands of young men, mostly young men, were crowded into army bases in the spring of 1918 was essentially the um, spreading point for the Spanish flu in the United States. Then those soldiers got onto trains and then they got onto ships and one million doughboys landed in France by May of 1918, many of them inflect, infected with the flu. Now, while there may have been outbreaks and nobody's been able to say this with certainty, there may have been outbreaks before uh, all those American soldiers arrived. Clearly that is the uh, explosion point in Europe during the spring of 1918 when it becomes known infamously as the Spanish flu. Back then, as both the war and the flu tore across the world, scientists and doctors who saw that soldiers were vectors urged everyone to slow down. But as Davis said, the priority was winning the war. In 1918, Scientists and doctors were ignored sometimes. The advice they were giving to politicians was ignored at great peril to uh, the public health. Uh, in 1917, 1918, the priority was winning the war. And that meant keep pushing soldiers into the training camps, even though they were the breeding grounds for the disease. 
keep uh, pushing those soldiers onto the troop ships to go overseas, even though the doctor said, you have to slow this down. There are too many sick men going. Um, President Wilson, General Pershing wanted to win the war. They were pushing the Germans back. They said that was the only thing that mattered. You also had the economic priorities. I think it's important to note the dominant political sense in the United States back then. We're perhaps a lot more polarized now, but back then, there was a big shift toward the political right. The post-war period becomes a tremendous period of nationalism, isolationism, and conservatism. You have a tremendous rise of the Ku Klux Klan. The Ku Klux Klan, we normally associate with racial discrimination, and of course that was true. But what are the other underpinnings of, of the Ku Klux Klan? A white Anglo-Saxon Protestant nation that didn't like immigrants, Catholics, or Jews. You have in this period the most restrictive anti-immigration laws ever passed in American history are passed shortly afterwards. So you have this uh, tremendously conservative move, mood in the country, looking inwards, keeping out the other, keeping out the strange, keeping out all the things that bring diseases. And of course, part of that was certainly racist as well. Davis described the national mood as xenophobic and compared it to today. Absolute xenophobia, absolute white supremacism uh, in, in, the, in the country. So, you know, we're, we're confronting that again today in a very, very different way. This was, it was a terrible, terrible time and it got erased from the history books. More on this in just a minute. Exit 43 is a production of Hearst, Connecticut Media. If you like this podcast, please consider subscribing to our newspapers by visiting ctinsider.com. Find more episodes of Exit 43 on our website or wherever you go for podcasts, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. Okay, we started with a Mark Twain quote. I'd like to move to W.E.B. Du Bois, who wrote in May of 1919, We return. We return from fighting. We return fighting. The first recorded race riot of the Red Summer was that same month, May 1919, in Georgia. After a gun battle between two white police officers and a group of black people headed to church on a Sunday morning. By October, the New York Times had tracked at least 38 race riots, though race riots is something of a euphemism. It was, for the most part, violence against black people perpetrated by working-class white people. In Chicago, a young boy swam into a white-only section of Lake Michigan and drowned, after being pelted with stones. In New London, white sailors attacked black sailors at a popular hangout. In 1920 as well, they wanted law and order, and law and order certainly meant to most white Americans putting the black man in his place, and that included violently. You know, this is a period of the lynchings, These, uh, this terrible uh, summer of, of uh, r race riots. 
that were white people killing black people. Keep in mind that droves of black families had migrated north to fill empty slots in manufacturing facilities. Then the war drew to a close. When you look, for instance, at Chicago, where the Red Summer was very bad, public health officials early on had blamed the great influx of African Americans into Chicago, the Northern Migration. They blamed this for the spread of many diseases. They said that these blacks coming into the Negroes, coming into Chicago, were bringing disease with them. So there was a very, very ugly and violent mood in the, a city like Chicago already before the flu even came. And once it came, it, got, it was worsened. So I would say absolutely the flu plays a factor in the social attitudes of the time. And in a bigger sense, I think what happens with, between the flu and the war is America had this tremendous feeling of wanting to isolate and wanting to keep out the things that were dangerous that were coming from somewhere else. Even today, we have a knack for blaming somebody for disease, for a virus. Viruses, of course, know no race, no color, no creed, no nationality. They don't have passports. There's one more thing I'd like to mention. Why was it called the Red Summer? In part, because the race riots were blamed on communists the great infiltrating fear of Bolshevism black communities, was starting at much this like time, socialists because of the and anarchists are blamed That was another today. reason for the fear of foreigners, the xenophobia. We didn't want Bolshevism here. It's really impossible from a historical perspective to separate these, these strands out. But for a long time, I don't think people factored the flu in because they didn't know about it. Now we know what the flu was. It actually absolutely added to the degree of fear and anxiety and loathing that, um, that white America felt at the time. And I don't think there's any question about that. So did the flu make Red Summer worse? I think absolutely. You know, I said earlier that the differences between 1919 and 2020 were as important as the similarities. The big difference then was that the fear and the anxiety that the flu and the war had combined to produce together had pushed the country in the direction of being conservative and not having extraordinary changes. Whereas right now, because this racial episode in our history has exploded in the midst of the pandemic, it's forcing a lot of people to go in a very, very different direction and say, no, we really, we really need to change. This, this pandemic has actually exposed the open wound that racism has been in this country for a very, very long time. This is Exit 43. My name is Jordan Fenster. If you have a story to tell or just need to reach out, please send me an email. 
jordan.fenster at hearstmediact.com. Thanks for listening, but before I let you go, Davis mentioned that while we called it the Spanish flu here, that's because the free press in Spain at the time was the first to report on the pandemic. The Spanish, by the way, called it the Naples soldier. The Germans called it either Flanders fever after one of the most famous battlefields in the war or the Russian pest. The Russians called it the Chinese fever. So this notion that everybody wants to blame somebody else for it is a very old idea.